turn, thank you. Yes, good morning. Uh, <laughs> chapter 24 of Matthew, verse 32 is where you want to be if you've got a Bible or an app. Chapter 24, verse 32, and we are going to finish this chapter and chapter 25 today. Okay, everybody take a deep breath. In 35 minutes, we're going we're gonna to knock that out today. So chapter 24 and chapter 25 of Matthew. By the way, if you're our guest this morning, the reason we're doing this is because we started going through Matthew a year and a half ago at chapter 1. And we're just going right through the whole book, and we're going to finish at the end of July. Um, so uh, that's why we're studying this topic. We're just taking what Matthew gives us as he comes. And the Matthew chapter 24 and 25 are dedicated to Jesus' return, his second, his second coming. Um, so before I, I go forward, I just want to give a quick review and also just lay some groundwork for, for you to understand what, what you, so you can have healthy expectations about, about today's text. So what we're not going to do today um, is, you know, we're not looking at the book of Daniel, okay, where um, there are some end times texts related to the, the, Jesus' final return, believe it or not, in Daniel. Okay? Jesus has cited Daniel. Jesus has alluded to Daniel. But we're not going to talk about Daniel. We're not going to talk about Revelation. Uh, Jesus uses some apocalyptic language back in chapter 24 that is similar to Revelation. But we're not, we're not getting into that vision of, the, of John the Revelator. Okay? We're not looking at anything Paul said about the end times. We're not looking at anything Peter said about the return of Jesus. In Jesus' text here, 24 and 25 of Matthew, but we're not going to go there, okay? Um, we're not going to try and understand all the different possibilities of how the world could end, okay? So if you're a theological nerd, this is, I'm not going to explain premillennialism and all the different varieties that are underneath that. I'm not going to get into postmillennialism. But so I'm, we're, we don't, we're not, today is not the, the day for that because those things are not addressed in the text. And our goal today is to work right through Jesus' own words about his return when prompted by his disciples. Jesus, you said that this temple is going to get destroyed. Tell us when. It's not comprehensive. It's not all the things we'd ever want to know. It's not everything that could be said. Um, we're just focusing right there on those things, okay? And last week, when looking at the question that Jesus was posed, what signs, uh, Matthew 20, the end of chapter 22 and verse, uh, excuse me, end of chapter 23, Matthew 24, all the way to verse 31, that is the answer that Jesus is giving to that question, what signs? He promised he would return. He predicted the collapse of uh, Jerusalem in AD 70. He predicted the times of distress that we are still currently living in after that fall. And be for all those reasons and more, we take Jesus at his word. This is why we believe he's coming back, okay? From Matthew 24, okay? But what do we do until he gets here? We live between the time of what we live between the time in which Jesus has done something for us in his death and resurrection and the time in which he's going to do something for us in his final return. So we're living in between. What do we do in between? In other words, why does Jesus's future return matter today? How are we supposed to live in light of that today? And um, there are five things in our text today. Five things from Matthew 24, verse 32, 
all the way to the end of chapter 25, okay? They're just five. Um, and so I want to give you the top five things you need to be doing until Jesus comes back, okay? Couldn't be any, any clearer than that. Now, today's message is going to be a little bit more of a Bible study than a sermon, okay? So if you've got a pen or pen, and John Keller just gave me a, yeah, all right. So Luke slaps me on the behind when I come up to preach, and John Keller just gave me a fist bump. It's like I'm playing baseball up here. I'm ready to go. All right, let's go. Here we go. Um, so top five, chapter 24, verse 32. The first thing Jesus says that you and I need to do before he comes, while, while we wait, is we need to be aware of the certainty of his return. Be aware. Look at verse 32 and 33. Jesus says, learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its branch becomes tender and sprouts leaves, you know that summer is near. And in the same way, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near at the door. So Jesus uses this little parable, this little word picture, to urge his disciples and us to be aware of the certainty of his return. Um, so today, I'm going to the airport this afternoon, and I'm going to fly, y'all pray for me, I'm going to fly to New Orleans for the Southern Baptist Convention, okay? But I think that's what I'm saying, okay? And I'm going to take my phone with me because um, on my phone is my ticket, and my company sprung for early bird on Southwest, so I got an A-list ticket. I'm really excited. Praise God. I know. That means I'm not going to have to check my bag. Um, and because I'm aware of the fact that a trip is coming, my suitcase is out, I've got clothes that I need to put into it, I'm going to take my tickets and my phone with me because I'm aware that the trip is coming. Okay? And so Jesus is saying in the same way, okay, he's coming. And you need to live with a sense of awareness that he is coming. We don't need to pretend like those things aren't going to come. We need to live, just simply have an awareness. Jesus says, look at a fig tree. You see it's We have these blueberry bushes in our front yard. Unfortunately, we had a freeze, and so we didn't get nearly as many you know, little flowers on them. But when you see the flowers, you know goodness is coming on a blueberry bush. And Jesus says, you've seen these... 80, 70 has happened. We're in the times of distress. When you see, live with a sense of awareness of his certainty. Okay? That's what Jesus wants us to do. Now, Bible study time. Verses 34 and 35. If you look at verses 34 and 35, these are, uh, these are, these are challenging verses to break down in a sermon because there are four or five possibilities for interpreting this, this text. And you, if you choose this one, then it has implications for, you know, that run this way. And if you choose this one, it has implications that run this way and may overlap with this one and on and on and on and on it goes. So the reason I'm not going to take time to break those down is because it doesn't change the point, which is be aware, all right? But because I love you, all right? And you, those of you that want to geek out on verses 34 and 35, at the bottom of my manuscript, I've got a longer thing about the possibilities for interpreting verse 34 and 35, and I'll drop this 
in the Facebook and I'll drop it in the buzz for Wednesday. Okay, so you can read not just the whole manuscript, but if you wanna geek out on the meaning of verse 34 and 35, you can do that. It's kind of fun if you're weird. All right, so, but don't miss the point. Just live with a sense of awareness. Just live with a sense of awareness. We're, the weather, we, we, we are aware of so many things and we make pivot points and decisions based on what it is because we, have, we understand the, variety, the benefit of being aware. And Jesus is saying, it's happening, y'all. You aware? Are you aware? But the second thing Jesus wants you to do is be unaware of the details. He wants you to be aware of its certainty, but he wants you to be unaware of the details. This is coming from verses 36 and 42. Now, as you look at verses 36 through 42, I want you to ignore whatever paragraph breaks or subtitles your Bible publisher has put in. Even mine got it wrong, the ones that I work for, okay? So, but you all are sharp people. Look at verse 36 and look at verse 42. Verse 36 says, Now, concerning that day and the hour, by the way, underline day and hour. Day and hour, you're looking at that like a Western scientific objective person. You're thinking Jesus is talking about Thursday at 2. Okay, that's not what he's doing. Day and hour is a Hebrew phrase to mean time. It's just another way to say, you know, time. You're worried about the time when this is going to happen. He doesn't. So some people in the 70s and 60s and 80s may have said, you know, you can't really know the day and hour, but we could know the year and the month. And they would make very firm predictions because they didn't understand Bible interpretation. Or they did and didn't want you to understand Bible interpretation. They wanted you to give them money. For some, anyway, that's a whole other thing. All right. So the day and hour, that doesn't mean specific. It just means the time. Now concerning this time... Jesus says, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, figure that one out, except the Father alone. Now look at verse 42. Therefore, we're at the end of the thought, be alert since you don't know what day your Lord is coming. So you can see verse 36 and verse 42 are basically the same sentence, right? The first one's the topic sentence. Where are my homeschoolers at? Raise your hand. All right. Anybody, where's my human being at? Raise your hand. Right. Topic sentence, conclusion sentence, right? So what's in between verse 37 to 41? The explanation for not knowing. The elaboration on not knowing. Okay, so everything between 36 and 42 is an explanation of unawareness, of not knowing. Look at verse 37. Jesus says, as the days of Noah were, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. For in those days, Noah, before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. In other words, they were short-term invested and long-term invested. Okay, Until the day that Noah boarded the ark, they didn't know until the flood came and swept them all away. This is the way the coming of man, the Son of Man, will be. Then two men will be in the field and one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding grain with a hand mill. One will be taken and one left. So in this paragraph, Jesus is illustrating 
the unexpectedness and the unpredictability of his return. He wants you to know that you are unaware of the details. Alert. Aware of that. That's gonna, I'm going to come to alertness. Aware of its certainty, but unaware of when and how. It's going to be like the days of Noah. And if you go back and read Genesis 6 and 7, you'll see that the world was completely caught off guard by the flood. Normal, daily life was going on. People were oblivious to the fact that they were getting ready to die. Okay? Even Noah didn't know it was coming until God said, get in. And they got in. So Jesus is saying that His coming will completely disrupt people's lives, going about their every day. Completely unpredictable, even He does not know? What? And even those who are prepared, those who are in the ark of faith, if you will, won't know until it's happening. We just won't know. So we need to embrace our ignorance of this, if you will. We need to be aware, but we need to be unaware of the details. Aware of its certainty, but unaware of its details. Now, Bible study time. I want to take just a couple of minutes with the rest of uh, verse 40 and verse 41. Because over the years, there's been an unnecessary amount of confusion about what Jesus was saying here. Um, and this is in part because of our, uh, in my upbringing, our obsession with a, not getting into it again, we're not getting into that, but there was a song by Larry Norman, and then DC Talk later popularized it, that in reinforcing a pre-tribulational rapture, which may or may not actually be true, that is not up for discussion tonight, this morning, but they took this this passage and applied one left standing still I wish we'd all been ready okay and then DC talk you know is the version I heard in the early 90s there's no time to change your mind the sun has come we're doing great so far this is all very biblical the time has come and who's been left behind for why because you were unbelieving right that is pre-tribulational pre-millennialism view of a rapture that is not what Jesus is saying here. Because days of Noah, right? Just look at the passage. In those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving, and Noah boarded the ark, and they didn't know it was coming, and it did what? Swept them all away. This is what it's going to be like when I come back. There are going to be two people. One will be swept away, taken, and the other will be here. Who gets taken in Jesus' parable? The unbeliever, right? Just like unbelievers in Noah's day were were destroyed. So Jesus isn't talking about a pre-tribulation. He's talking about when Jesus comes back, he gets to stay. This is his heaven. This is his earth. You and I get to stay. We're his citizens in the kingdom of God. We reign with him in the new heaven and new earth. When he comes back, we stay. The unbelievers go. That's who gets taken. So if you... Let Larry Norman interpret this passage for you. Give him a high five when you see him in heaven, but he missed it, all right? Nice try. Verse 43. So, guys, be aware. 
It's coming, but be unaware. We don't know anything. We know what we know, but that's not all the things that we could know. And even Jesus doesn't know, no. So embrace that. You know, ignorance is bliss, isn't it? There are a lot of things in life where you say, you know, I really just don't want to know. If you don't want to know, don't become a deacon. Don't become an elder in a church. Like, you know what, it's better, I just don't know that. You know, I just, I don't want to, you know. I get it. I get it. Okay? Jesus is coming back. Awesome. Tell me, you know what, I don't want to know when. I don't even want to know how. I just believe it. Great. That's exactly where Jesus is in part. Okay? But just because we're unaware of the details doesn't give us permission to be lazy or indifferent to his return. Which is why Jesus in verses 43 all the way to 2513 says, be alert to the inevitability of his return. So from verse 43 to chapter 2513, Jesus makes one point, but he makes it from three different angles. Okay, And the point is, be alert. There is no way our expectations regarding the timing of Jesus' return will ever line up, and indifference to that is not an option. We've got one choice in the meantime. That is be alert. Okay? So three different angles. Angle number one is in verses 43 from 44. There's a little parable there where Jesus speaks to the person who would be surprised at his return because this person has zero expectations that Jesus is coming back. In verses 43 from 44, that person is, Jesus' return is completely unexpected. In verses 45 through 51, Jesus tells a little parable about the faithful servant. And in that parable, Jesus comes later than expected. Okay? So all of our 1970s and 80s friends would fit this parable. And in angle 3, in Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13, the parable of the ten virgins, excuse me, Jesus is later than expected. I'm sorry, verses 45 through 41, he comes sooner. Okay? So what is Jesus doing? Completely unexpected, then he comes sooner than expected, and then he comes later than expected. Jesus, in his teaching, which, by the way, if you look over here in Matthew verse 25, this is Jesus' last teaching. It's the last thing he's going to say to his disciples. And he triples down on be alert. Whether you're of the completely unexpected mindset or the maybe he'll come sooner than expected mindset or maybe he'll come later than it might, you don't know. But what you do need to do is be alert. Up until, well, that's not true. My, my parents have three dogs, and uh, one of them is a complete nut job. And just utter, it's this little uh, long-haired dachshund, a little wiry in his hair too, and he just has this look of abject fear on his face all the time. I, he, he's a poster dog for Lexapro. I mean, like, he just, he really could be on an anti-anxiety medication at any time. And he won't let anybody near him except my dad or my, and my stepmom. And, um, but for, for as little as he is, he kind of is like, everybody kind of like, you know, runs around his insecurity. Like, you know, so he ends up having a lot of power in the house. I, you know, this is dog, you know, dog socialization I'm talking about. But, so you understand. So his job is to sit in view of the front door during the day so that the other dogs can go and do whatever it is they want to do. 
But the moment something or someone comes to the front door, our little sentinel here, the, the wiry, nervous, scared, abject fear of a dog, barks like crazy and sounds an alarm, and all the other dogs bark because an alarm has gone off, and everything is, you know, and they all come running to the door, and it's like, just chill. But it happens a hundred times a day whenever you're visiting for the holidays because there are 20 people over and the poor dog is just completely worn out at having to sound the alarm. He is responsible as the sentinel on his post to be the alert so everybody else can do what it is that they want to do. Folks, being the sentinel is everybody's job when it comes to Jesus' return. We are all supposed to be on alert. In your awareness that it's going to happen, in your unawareness of the details, be alert, always alert, completely unexpected, sooner than expected. It doesn't matter. Be alert because you don't know. Be alert. Number four, be prepared. So I want you to be alert. And in your alertness, be prepared. Like a good steward, be prepared. Let's read this parable, the parable of the talents together from verses 14 and all the way down to 30. For, Jesus says, it is just like a man about to go on a journey. He called to his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, depending on each one's ability. Then he went on a journey. Immediately the man who had received the five talents went, put them to work, and earned five more. In the same way, the man with two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Okay? So growth fund, growth fund, bond fund. All right? Income reducer fund. Right? It's not even doing that. Like, it's like mattress. All right? After a long time, the master of the house servants came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man with two talents also approached. He said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I've earned two more talents. His master, would be, we all could double our money. His master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man who had received one talent also approached. said, Master, I know you. You're a harsh man reaping where you haven't sown, gathering where you haven't scattered seeds. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. And his master replied to him, You evil, lazy servant, if you knew what I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers and I would have received my money back with interest when I returned. So take the talent from him. Give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has more, who has, excuse me, more will be given, and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this, my CSB says, good for nothing servant into the outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
you know, the temptation with a parable is to try and get into the nitty-gritty and find all the, find some sort of symbolism or, uh, you know, maybe this thing stands for this thing and this thing represents that thing. That's just not what Jesus is doing here. He's on a roll about his return. He wants you to communicate one thing, is that is that while we wait, while we're alert, while we're unaware of the details, we need to be man that this life matters for that life. Be a good steward of your faith because what happens in this life matters in that life with our time, with our effort, with our relationships, with our money. We're to steward them faithfully for the glory of God and the spread of the gospel. Steward them like the kingdom of God is as valuable as we say that it is. That's the point. So, be a good steward. Look at your resources institutionally, organizations as a church, individually as a family. Look at your resources and say, does this represent an awareness and an alertness to the return of Jesus. When, we, when you buy a house, you are also buying responsibility for maintaining and investing in that house, right? So about 2018, there's a ravine that runs through the back of our yard because our yard's on a hill and the street runoff comes down into our backyard into a, through a pipe and it runs through a ravine into the creek for rainwater runoff into our backyard. And we bought the house in 2016, and in 2018, it had run off so much that you could see like a, a, the black drain pipe in the ground. There had been so much erosion, okay? And so Holly and I finally decided to invest in some river rock to dump back there over that pipe and over that ravine. And it just formed this you know, path and it curved all the way down to the creek. Well, when we, when we did that, it looked really great. And our neighbor who lives behind us, who manages a lawn care company and has the most beautiful yard. I mean, he oversees winter rye in the winter. I mean, like this guy, it's unbelievable how well he takes care of his yard. He came walking through the backyard and stepped over his fence. He's like, that looks awesome. You know, he was so proud of us finally doing something to our, you know, whack uh, backyard. You know, it looked, just looked, uh, looked amazing. And a couple of years later, COVID came, which gave us, like, free time for two weeks. I don't know how that worked. Like, we all got paid still. It was weird. Oh, I know how. The government printed money. That's how it worked. Okay. So... <laughs> But we got to work in our backyard, and we pulled up all kinds. We pulled up chickweed and, and kill grass, and, and, uh, we, and we began to invest. And I say we, and what I really mean is Holly. Thank you. That's right. The Holly Spirit took over the backyard, and, and she's been investing and been investing and investing. So this spring, we had somebody stay in our basement, a short-term guest stay in our, in our basement, and she publicly uh, put this on, on the Airbnb. She says, man, somebody has put a ton of work into the backyard. I kind of want to reserve a room in the summer so I can see what it looks like. Yeah. And then just a couple of weeks ago, because we're in summer, somebody raved on Airbnb, the backyard is beautiful. You know, just... Now, why is that the case? Well, it didn't just happen. Holly spends a couple hours a day out there. 
carrying water jugs and 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 we're all benefiting the kids go out in the morning and get raspberries and get strawberries we didn't get any blueberries because of the freeze and i'm really sad but the maintenance and the stewardship and the investment has resulted in this growth and it's beautiful and jesus is expecting the same thing of your salvation and the same thing of this church clyde snodgrass one of my favorite theologians, who has the worst name, (laughs) Klein Snodgrass. To accept the kingdom and its salvation is to accept a trust. It enlists one as an agent on behalf of the kingdom, and all those so enlisted will be rewarded or judged in terms of their faithfulness to the task. So I want you to be, Jesus says, I want you to be prepared like a good steward. And then lastly, he wants you to be sure as a sheep. He wants you to be sure as a sheep. Will you read the parable with me in verse 31? Again, do not, there is no symbol. This is really simple. He's just communicating certainty. That's it. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels are with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him. He's painting a beautiful picture. This is Bob Ross eschatology. And He will will separate them one from another just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. And the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I was hungry... You gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. You took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick. You took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. And the righteous will say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and take you in or clothes and without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, well, truly, I tell you, whatever you did, For one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you didn't take me in. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not care for me. And then they too will answer, Lord. This is like a repeat of verse 37. When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger without clothes or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer them, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these you did not do for me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. When we stand before God, either in His return, or if we get to experience death beforehand, when we stand before God, we are going, you are we are going to give an account of how we have treated the oppressed in this world. It's that simple. There is no way you can separate your relationship with God from your relationship with the oppressed. Jesus does not want you to be ignorant of this reality. 
He wants you to be sure that you can be a sheep. Okay? The emphasis that we have in the, in the gospel on how limitless God's grace is brings with it the limitless demand to make it real in this world. There is a responsibility for compassion in the, that we have as Christians. And there is a warning that people will give an account of how we treat the, the oppressed in this world. Okay? The, foundation, the foundational idea is that our relationship with God is necessarily lived out in the way that we relate to other people, particularly those who are in need. This, sermon, this part of the sermon goes over really well in a mainline denomination. <laughs> The gospel of grace doesn't go over very well in a mainline denomination. The gospel of grace goes over very well in a Baptist message. This part doesn't go so well, but here's Jesus right here, right here, right here. You want to be sure that you're a sheep. Manifest your relationship with God, your understanding of grace, and the way that you treat the oppressed. The limitless grace of the gospel comes with limitless demand. Again, Klein, Snodgrass. God accepting us in Christ is a gift, and it is entirely a gift. But only those who love their neighbors and show compassion to the distressed are the ones who are ultimately acceptable. Matthew 25. You can't be a follower of Jesus and void of compassion. That's what it means to be Jesus, is to have compassion. That's what it means to follow Jesus, is to have compassion. It's a core tenet of a true manifestation of our salvation. So Jesus has done teaching in Matthew. And that's the microphone he drops. Be sure. Be sure on that day. Be sure. Show compassion to the oppressed. Be aware of Jesus' certainty of his return. Be unaware of the details. We should be far... Listen based on this, these two chapters, be far more obsessed with living alert and being a good steward and caring for the oppressed than you are about anything theological. The best theology from Matthew 24, 25 is a lived theology. Be prepared. And be a sheep. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, help us to live in the light of the reality of your return with a sense of alertness that we all own and possess, with a, um, with a, with a, with a, with a spirit-empowered sense of discernment to make the most of our resources that you give for the glory of God and the kingdom. To, to have an unbelievable demonstration of compassion and care for the poor and the hurting and the oppressed in this world. That is what we need to do until you come back. Straight from the son's mouth. 
make it so, Lord, in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.